Welcome to Our Story, Your Story, the video podcast where we share our personal experiences and invite you to share yours. We are Toby Eunice and Shelley Carney, and together we'll take you on a journey through our lives and the lives of our family, friends, and guests. We believe that everyone has a story to tell, and we can all learn from each other's experiences. So whether you're looking for inspiration, entertainment, or simply a good story, you've come to the right place. Hello and welcome to Our Story, Your Story. I'm Shelley Carney. And I'm Toby Eunice. Thanks for joining us. Tonight we're going to be diving into two chapters. Again, uh, they're both a little bit short and they go together. So uh, chapters 18 and 19 of A Gypsy's Kiss is where we'll be... Exploring tonight. Did you have anything uh, you wanted to say before we get started? What are the chapters? What are the names of the chapters? Chapter 18 is called The Scent of a Woman. Chapter 19 is called Morning Conversation. Mm. Are you ready? I, I, I suppose so. <laughs> I suppose. All right. Well, let's give you a little recap. Remember that Miguel, uh, which is Toby's. Uh, middle name. Pseudonym. It says pseudonym. It, when he was 15 years old, he's traveling from Santa Fe to New Orleans to attend Mardi Gras. He's currently in Central Texas. He stopped uh, for dinner and a bel- at Billy Bob's Burgers and had a burger and fries and a shake. And the woman who owns Billy Bob's Burgers and who made the food for him invited him to come to her house to spend the night because she didn't want him to uh, spend the night out on the road in the cold. And she had a bed that wasn't being used at her, at her house. So she invited him over. They go to her house and they have a long conversation about her life, what that's been like for her, that her um, son... uh, joined the military and uh, left and he's not coming back and uh, is drifting off to sleep thinking about all the things that had happened to him that day and uh, that's where we're at I have no memory of falling asleep nor of the door to the bedroom opening and no memory of Lizette coming into the room My first indication of that two o'clock in the morning visit is Lisette sliding into the bed. I'm laying on my right side and she raises the blankets, crawling up close behind me in the small bed. Transitioning quickly from groggy to wide awake, yet not knowing exactly what to do, I pretend to be asleep and remain motionless while she gently presses the front of her warm, soft body against my back. As she puts her arm atop and around me as far as she can reach, my senses are flooded with her mixture of aromas. I smell perfume, bath salts, lotion, and shampoo. Delightful floral scents with woodsy undertones designed to entice and bring pleasurable feelings and memories to mind. The combination of all these enjoyable sensory inputs results in a natural automatic response from my 15-year-old body. Memories of priests, nuns, and Christian brothers teaching me the morals of right and wrong insist that I stop this now. At the same time, my independent self wants to experience every moment of pleasure within this journey, and I'm curious about what will happen next. I decide the best option is to remain as still as possible, but to roll my body a little more forward to give myself some protection and privacy. Lizette lifts her left hand and begins smoothing and stroking my hair while whispering into the back of my neck, my baby boy, my sweet baby boy, I miss you so much. I've never been so uncomfortable yet comforted at the same time. Although bewildered, my primitive brain can provide no good reason to fight or flee, so my thinking brain guides me to relax into the experience and allow her this mothering moment of closure. Lizette continues her rhythmic chant and hair stroking until we both fall soundly asleep due to the calming effect of her actions. When I awake in the morning, she is gone, leaving only her lingering aroma. 
I roll back over toward where she had lain, take handfuls of the pillow and sheet, and bring them to my face. I close my eyes, breathing her into me in a memory I will long and pleasurably recall. A few minutes later, I climb out of bed, make it as neatly as I can, and prepare myself for the rest of my day, including the conversation I expect to have with Lizette. Chapter 19 After a quick stop at the bathroom, I walk back down the hall and enter the kitchen to find Lizette by the stove, dressed for work and fussing over a huge cast-iron skillet. The room is filled with the smell of morning, frying eggs, spiced sausage, and percolating coffee. She looks at me, smiling warmly. You ready for some breakfast? I nod. I wonder if she will bring up her early morning visit to my room. Then again, maybe it's easier if she doesn't and we can act like it didn't happen. Uncertain how to behave and trying not to make things awkward, I sit down at the kitchen table. I got a pot of coffee brewing. How'd you sleep? If you want some toast, you're welcome to make it. There's bread in the fridge and the toaster is over here in the corner, she points. I sit at the table silently, wishing I could think of something to say. Is there a quote, verse, or story for this kind of situation? Making toast provides the opportunity to distract me from everything I'm thinking. I can't help but wonder, did her son make the toast in the morning? When she is done cooking, she brings two plates covered in over-easy eggs and sausage patties to the table, and I carry two smaller plates of buttered toast to add to our meal. She gestures to one of the cupboards. The cups and saucers are over there. I stand up and collect a pair of sets and arrive back at the table as she does with the coffee pot. She pours us two cups. I wait until she sits down at the table, interested in what will happen next. Eat up. I gotta get to work in just a minute, she says. We begin to eat. After a bite or two, I offer, This is very good, thank you. I had lots of practice, she responds. So what's your plan for the day? Accepting that we're not going to talk about last night, I move my mind into the new day. I'm riding to the next gas station to fill up the bike, then keep moving east. I'm hoping to get into Louisiana by nightfall and be in New Orleans by Tuesday evening for the end of Mardi Gras. So, what is it with you and this Mardi Gras thing? Happy to land on a topic I'm excited about, I say, maybe it sounds crazy to you, but it's something I need to do. All of these signs have been popping up in my life. Cutting ties, memories of my dad, stories and photos of Mardi Gras. They're telling me to go right now. It's calling to me. I can see the skeptical look she's giving me, and my enthusiasm is tamped down. I guess I have to get it out of my system. She stares at me for just a moment before shaking her head. Men, y'all sure spend a lot of time getting stuff out of your system. For some reason, that makes me smile. I guess I like being referred to as a man instead of a boy. Then the word time registers in my mind, and I check the kitchen clock on the wall. I need to get back on the road. I chew through my breakfast quickly. She watches me eat and takes a few more bites of her breakfast. Lizette seems to be organizing her thoughts while she eats. If you ever find your way back here, you make sure you stop by Billy Bob's and I'll treat you to a hamburger, some fries, and a vanilla shake. I'll be sure to do that. I'm very grateful for your kindness. I wish I could repay you. She stands up, walks around to my side of the table, kisses me on the top of my head and says, you already did. Finishing breakfast and clearing the dishes leads us to getting ready to leave. Lizette, wearing her white uniform with blue trim, grabs her purse and keys. I don my leather jacket, goggles, cap, and gloves. I open the back door and hold the screen open as she locks the door behind her. Outside, it's cool and smells like fresh-cut grass and sunshine. Crossing the yard, I repack my kit, mount the BSA, and kick her over. Lizette looks over both of us from back to front and back again. Seems to me that motorcycle is bigger than you. You sure you know what you're doing? Yes, ma'am, I do. She leans over, brushes her lips against my cheek, and says, 
You take care of yourself, young man. And then she walks to her pickup truck. In just a moment, she drives away. I wait a minute to let the dust settle and follow the dirt road until I reach asphalt and turn east for gas and oil. I've got 34 hours to get to Mardi Gras. Well, what do you think? I think it describes, I don't know how to classify it. I'll, I'll say the top 10 memorable moments, moment that created a me memories uh, in my life. And I've had a lot of those, daughters being born, sons being born. Um, but I think that, that, that very short, you know, evening to morning long interlude in my life created a burned-in memory. And uh, I've never been able, not, not that I try to get rid of it, but I've never uh, been able to get rid of it. It always sticks in my brain. I can describe it almost completely. And I can still smell her if there's somebody walks by and I catch the aroma of a, of a, uh, a woman's cologne and it happens to be whatever she was wearing, it brings back the memory. So that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, the, the expectation that uh, nothing was going to interfere with what he was doing any more than it was going to interfere with what she was doing. Uh, and the only thing I could hope is that we influenced each other in a positive enough way so that we could both move on with what we were doing. I don't know that she would ever recover from the fact that she lost her son uh, in Vietnam. Uh, but I felt like maybe having that moment brought her some form of closure. That's the most you can do. And I'd like to think that she believed that uh, perhaps for her, uh, the benefit was that maybe I would take uh, the love and affection that I got from my mother a little bit more seriously, uh, as I understood how a mother felt about the loss of her son. So it, it was, it was, I would say it was more uh, emotional. It, it was, these are, this is one of the two, uh, what I would call most emotional um, uh, locations. I'm not going to say chapters because there's two of them um, in, in the book, in the storyline. And um, I think it had a positive impact on me and, and gave me the ability to take a look at my relationship with my mother and what I could do to make it better. Uh, because you can't blame relationships on the other person. It, we all know it takes two to tango. And so I, I wanted to take responsibility for creating my own difficulties within my relationship with my mother and uh, wanted to make, take my own responsibility for somehow repairing the damage that I had done um, with her. And it, it worked out to the extent that at least we were civil to one another and that I didn't, it wasn't one of those things. I was just reading a story about someone and her relationship with her father and that after she left high school for college, she never saw him again, you know, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. You can't be critical of anyone for making those kinds of decisions. I certainly didn't want to be in the kind of situation where at my age now, I I would have to say, well, you know, after I left for college, I never saw my mother again. Uh, and thankfully, that's not true. I didn't live in Santa Fe like my brothers and sisters, but I visited regularly. Every opportunity that, that you know, came along um, I'd come uh, back to New Mexico and, and visit with her. And it, would, it was good for three, maybe four days uh, before I realized uh, that neither one of us was as comfortable uh, as, a, as the perfect mother and son. Uh, the relationship, honestly, that I envied was my mother's relationship with both my sister and uh, Vincent. 
Um, and uh, I'm sorry, maybe that's the wrong way to put that. I envied the relationship that she had with my siblings and that they had with her um, because, because they obviously cared for one another in, and here's the problem, a potentially destructive way. You know, it was classic examples of, you know, love hurts, love, love just results in terrible lives being led. Um, and so I had the benefit of having a positive life for myself while uh, telling myself that visiting my mother uh, regularly was good for our relationship, but it was better for me to leave, you know, better for me to leave. Like it would have done me no good to stay around uh, the members of my family in Santa Fe. And I missed out on a lot as a result. And, you know. Well. These are the choices we make. Yeah, you know? yeah, and exactly. I don't fault anybody either for, you know, uh, you you get to choose your friends. You don't get to choose your family or who you're related to. You just end up there and hope for the best, mm -hmm. make the best of a situation. While I was um, putting this together this week, I worked on what are the themes and emotions that are prevalent in chapters 18 and 19. Mm -hmm. But I think we'll go over each one of these and then see if there's a story or anything we want to add to that um, or, you know, dive in more deeply uh -huh. into that within this story. So number one, healing and closure. The central theme that emerges from these chapters is healing and closure. Lizette, who has experienced the tragic loss of her son, finds a form of solace and healing through her interactions with Miguel. Miguel's presence allows her to grieve and find closure symbolizing the idea that connections with others can help us recover from past traumas. This theme highlights the power of human connections in overcoming grief and tragedy. I think it's important that we, as we go through life, not only are we going to experience uh, inflection points in our life that hurt us, and I don't mean physically cutting your thumb, but they create an emotional, a psychological, a physiological pain. And before we can do anything else, we have to heal from that. And until we can, until we're healed from that, we can't move on to some sort of closure that puts that behind us. Healing and closure are not the same thing. They're often used in the same sentence. As a matter of fact, our friend put them together there. I've never felt like healing and closure were the same thing. I think healing is one thing. You know, fixing yourself uh, physically, spiritually, and, and uh, 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 mentally. Uh, closure is being able to say, now oh, I can move on. That, that, that's behind me in my life. Lessons were learned. Mistakes were made, pain was felt, but now uh, it's behind me. And I think that's what she's dealing with. And I think that's what, uh, I think what happened in the book with uh, Lisette was uh, she was working on healing and may not have gotten that far, but it was obvious that there was some closure. Like, okay, that might have done it. And if I could, if I felt... And if she felt like I was part of that closure, I, I'm happy to have uh, contributed and participated in that. So, I, I think that's what that's what I, that's what happened to me. That's what made me realize. Um, and I had plenty of I had plenty of road miles to think about that. The the previous eighteen hours, you know, from the time that I stopped for a hamburger to the time that I left that morning. A lot happened in my young life, and uh, a lot of things that I had never experienced before, and were all worthwhile. There's nothing negative to me about what happened. You know, people could read into it. Oh, it's kind of creepy on her part. She crawled into bed with you. Well, you when you understand why she crawled into bed with me, uh, you could see why how that was possible. And I didn't. I never saw it that way. I didn't see it as creepy. It confused me. Uh, being that young and not having that kind of experience before, uh, it confused me. But I also went right to sleep 
I mean, it put me to sleep. You know how I am when I start getting relaxed. Well, Zonkarama. And uh, so uh, I feel like it was good for both of us that we both left better, uh, left one another better than when uh, we first met. And I, I can't tell, you know, the the initial interaction where she comes outside to smoke a cigarette and brings me my meal. I never quite understood what that was all about, you know, at that point. I didn't have any idea. What, what's this about? Why is this lady coming to talk to me? And, you know, uh, and but I was open to what's going to happen here, you know. Um, and then when she invited me to her house, it was like, well, wait a minute. Well, well but what's going to happen here. And each of those cases, what's going to happen here, uh, turned uh, the event not only more interesting for me, but more memorable. And I don't, I don't have uh, my, the memories of that 18 hour period, nothing in that 18 hour period for me produce produces a negative memory other than to say, uh, you know, I still, I've shortened my time to get to, uh, uh, to uh, Mardi Gras. Well, uh, I'll bring up a story that fits in with healing and closure. Um, I was on the uh, call with my grief group, and a lot of people were saying uh, and agreeing that they couldn't properly grieve until something. And the until something, the something was either until I've gotten all of the financial mm-hmm details taken care of, the probate or whatever it was that needed taken care of, you know, whether you're, um, you know, in one girl's case, she was the executor for her father who passed quite suddenly and she was just at her wits end on to <clears throat> what she had to do next to, you know, follow the laws mm-hmm. and and uh, be the executor. It's, it's It was thrust upon her. Um, and in some people's case, they had the ashes of their loved one and they didn't know what to do with them. They were thinking, well, I should have some kind of a ceremony or something, you know, and they felt like until that happened, they wouldn't have closure. So it was either they couldn't grieve properly or they wouldn't have closure until they could handle those details uh, that kept, you know, pulling them back in. And in my case, I feel like I took care of the, you know, the, cremation and all of the details and I'm now I'm closing out the house and uh, selling the house and all of that. Um, And that, that is details. It's not that I can't grieve until that's done because Mm -hmm. I have, and I, you know, I feel like I could have been grieving along the way. And I've said that before Mm -hmm. that uh, when Kevin first got diagnosis, we grieved together when, when the time was shortened because the chemo and radiation hadn't been effective like we had hoped, uh, we grieved again. Every time he had to go through a new kind of chemo and had a bad scan, we grieved again. So there was a lot of grieving along the way. And then when he passed, more grieving. And then when we had the memorial, more grieving, you know. And then now I've been... uh, whittling away at all of the items in the house and, you know, those things that carry a memory with them and the boxes of photos that I am going through. uh, Also, Mm. you know, it's a healing process to go through those photos to remember he was such a good dad. You know, here he is at Jared's birthday. Here he is, um, you know, at Easter. Here he is doing this or that. And he was a good dad and he was there a lot. You know, he had a flexible schedule with the job he was working so that whenever possible, he would be there for every event that the, you know, with the kids. So he was a really good dad. So these things, you know, are a healing process. It's a a more grieving along the way, but it's not as painful as it was because it's a happier memory, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, rather than thinking about him contracting cancer and dying from it. I'm thinking about, you know, he was a good dad and his kids loved him. He loved his kids. You know, we, we had, 
you know, he loves animals. We had the, the pets in the pictures, you know, and here's a house that we lived in. I remember that. And here's a table, picture of a table he refinished. And I remember that, you know, it just, here's a picture of the garden gate where he carved in a heart, you know, and um, kind of dedicated it to me and him and our relationship, you know, just nice things. So I think all of that provides closure, you know, as you go through it. And I think it's an important thing to do, go through, going through the pictures and recalling, and it can be difficult. Uh, it can start off to be very difficult to do, but I think once you've done, keep doing it and keep doing it and move through all those photos, uh, you get to a place where, you know, you have that closure. You feel good about the the life that you had. How much did you tell your grief group about Kevin's, uh, what you, how you handled Kevin's remains? Oh, I didn't. You know, I uh, didn't have a plan for them either. Mm -hmm. And if my sister-in-law hadn't spoken up and said, you know, I would like to have them and take them uh, to Portugal and put them in the family cemetery. If she hadn't done that, I would have just put them on the shelf and, mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't like everybody have thought else. to do anything with them either. Because mm -hmm. he didn't have, like most people, uh, they all said the same thing. He didn't have specific instructions on, oh, do this for me, you know, or do that. One man said that his wife wanted her ashes spread on the rose bushes, and he did do that. And he made like a little ceremony and he had some friends over and he did that and, and it helped them to have closure, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but when you don't know what they would have wanted, you kind of have to come up with something on your own. So I was happy enough that, um, you know, she had asked for the ashes and was going to put them in a, you know, one of those mausoleum cemetery mm -hmm. drawer things. Well, I, similar to the one, the picture of the one that I took in Spain. They're probably almost exactly looking the same. Yeah. So. All right. Well, it's motherhood and connection is the next one. The emotions prevalent in these chapters include a deep sense of motherhood and connection. Lizette's actions, like sliding into bed with Miguel and stroking his hair, demonstrate her longing for the maternal bond she once had with her own son. Miguel's response of laying motionless indicates his uncertainty and desire to provide comfort. This theme explores the universal need for emotional connections and the longing for the nurturing love that comes from maternal figures. So I can't add to that because I didn't have that kind of relationship with my mother, nor she with me. Uh, I knew that she had that kind of relationship with my two brothers that was a, a little bit better until... Uh, well, I guess forever, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think she ever, I don't want to say she didn't give up on them, but they were demanding of her because they had so much trouble in life. Um, her relationship with Paul was very special because Paul was the one of her children that decided to take up tin work as a profession and follow in her footsteps, but he was the the one that passed away the youngest and so I, I don't think, uh, I think she believed she had these strong motherly connections with her children. I wouldn't agree. And I, I feel saddened by that for her. Was there anybody in your life who you felt closer to in a maternal way than, than her? Your Aunt Lucy or your grandmother? Or? No. Uh, well, so as I think about my relationship with Aunt Lucy and my grandmother, they were perfectly normal relationships with an Aunt Lucy and a grandmother. Right. They were my, I was very respectful of them. Um, they, um, you know, my grandmother, I was the one that she expected to pick her up every morning at 630 to take her to church. You know, that kind of thing when I was uh, uh, back at home. Um if I look at the the maternal uh, the 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 women in my life with maternal potential, I don't. I had I had crushes on a couple of my aunts, you know, but not as moms. You know, it wasn't that. Uh, Lucy, uh, the the Eunice, uh, uh, the Eunice women, the, the women in Taos, Aunt Katie, 
uh, Aunt Lita and my grandmother. Uh, they were just Aunt Katie, Aunt Lita, and my grandmother. There was never anything strong about that. And and what they offered to me was a um, a chamber in which to learn how to be respectful to women. Uh, maybe that's what I learned from all of them, right? I learned how to be respectful to uh, another woman because I couldn't have imagined being disrespectful to them. Uh, and my mother the same way. I couldn't have imagined being, I'm sure there are times that I was, uh, but I couldn't have imagined being disrespectful to my mother, nor any of my aunts, nor any of my grandmothers. But I didn't feel, and maybe that's the one piece that's missing in me. You know, I don't know what, I, I don't know whether or not something is missing in me that would have been there had I had a better uh, relationship with my mother. Um, I was raised by my my life experiences, the the formation of my my ego and my id were formed by men, Christian brothers, uh, college professors, uh, military professionals, you know. Um, so I, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't think I can point to any one woman in my life who I could say, yeah, that that was my mom's substitute. It just never had that, and and maybe that's my bad. Maybe, you know, maybe it was it resulted in in a an empty space in my in my uh, evolution. So, you, uh, yeah, I was very yeah, I was close to my mom. Mm -hmm. um, I I admired her. She worked hard. Uh, there was something about how she could always come home after a full day of work, pull uh -huh. a couple things out of the freezer and put dinner on the table an hour later. Uh -huh. And I, you know, that to me was like magic. And when I got married, I expected to be able to magically be able to do the same thing. And it was not coming to me. It was like, I was always on the phone with her. How do I do this? What do I do? What's the recipe for that? And, uh -huh. you know, and we'd go over to, uh, there, Kevin and I would go over to her house, uh, my parents' house every Sunday and uh, have dinner and she'd always send home leftovers. So we always had, you know, at least a couple of meals uh, a week from just, you know, family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we could always do the same thing with his family as well. They were, they were good about that as well. So um, we did have a lot of support in our early years mm -hmm. from our, from our parents and I think that helped a lot, you know, because I look at my own kids in their early years of their uh, marriage and relationship, uh, you know, long-term relationships. And I see how they struggle because they're not nearby. So they can't just come over and have dinner and, uh -huh. uh, you know, take home the leftovers. And, you know, when they have if and when they have children, then, you know, it's good to have the grandparents around to be able to babysit when you want to go out and you, you have somebody you can, you know, you can trust to uh, take care of your children. And that was what I had uh, with my mom. You know, she was there when Alicia was born. Uh, she was in the room, actually, when mm -hmm. Alicia was born, which she didn't expect to be. She was just, it happened to be that kind of a big room where she could just sit there and see what was going on. And nobody told her to leave, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, so, and she was there when my son was born. She was there with my daughter at home, you know, taking care of her. Mm -hmm. So I just always had that uh person in my life that I knew I could always rely on. So I think that, um, you know, that I had, I was blessed with that. Mm -hmm. What about your relationship with your father? <laughs> was not as close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was interesting. And I knew that that's why I asked that question. Yeah. Um, you used to, an interesting set of words as you were describing your mother's or your relationship with your mother. And they were, uh, it was a relationship or she was the kind of person I could respect, admire and emulate. Although 
although you also admitted that you weren't very good at emulating some of the things. <laughs> no, uh, not in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of us are, although we expect to be, because we see it modeled all our mm -hmm. lives. And we're like, well, I can, yeah, I can, I should be able to do that mm -hmm. too, because I saw, you know, I'm, but you know, unless you have practiced it, you're not going to be good at it. Right. Well, I think what you got out of it, uh, because we're, we're talking, the topic is motherhood and connections. Uh, because that's what we expect from our mothers, right? Be be a mom, be be my mother, and do the best that you can uh, up until I start rebelling and, and creating problems for us. But uh, what you hope for is that, at best, they can be the kind of mother that you can respect, admire, and emulate. Um, and I think that's a good place uh, to leave that relationship with. And I don't mean leave it like goodbye, I'm gone, but leave it in the sense that you can go on with the rest of your life after family life. You know, none of us expect, well, I suppose none of us, most people do not expect that they're going to be living with their mom the rest of their lives. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's going to, and, and there are issues on both sides of that algorithm if you do. Uh, and that's how I felt about my brothers and sisters. They mm -hmm. seem to spend a lot more time connected to my mother. <laughs> Failure to launch. Yeah, they yeah. It. They yeah. never got quite uh, away yeah. from her you know, to the extent that, you know, my my uh, sister lived in the house, uh, the the uh, the place on the same property. You know, never got any further away than that. So, all right. The next one is unspoken emotions. Uh, <clears throat> Throughout these chapters, there's an undercurrent of unspoken emotions. Miguel's internal monologue as he wonders what to do in this situation and Lizette's actions without explicit verbal communication reflect the depth of emotions that can be felt but not easily expressed. This theme invites a discussion about the power of nonverbal communication and the complex emotions that can be conveyed without words. So there was a a lot going on right and not just in these two chapters but at that moment in the story there's a lot happening and i think at some point as you deal with the unspoken emotions you have a choice and that is you can start analyzing the unspoken emotions and figuring out how to respond to them so that they can then respond to you or you can just let it happen. And I remember a point in my life where the advice to people my age at that time were just let it happen, let it, let it go, let it happen. And uh, I don't, what I do recall is that rather than trying to analyze it, although you can't help but analyze the situation in order to determine whether you're in a good situation or a bad, there was a, there was a t moment early in this interaction uh, that I realized this is not going to be bad. It may be a new experience and I may have to deal with things, but it's not going to, I don't think it's going to be bad. Let it, let it happen. And once you make that decision to let it happen, you, uh, uh, you start avoiding having to analyze all the emotions that are flowing through these. Because if you listen, if you read that story, listen to what happened, there's a dozen different emotions both parties could have experienced. And uh, what they avoided was uh, they allowed themselves the pleasure of experiencing the emotions, uh, but also had the benefit of not analyzing them. Let's, let's not think about this. Let's just let it out. What are you doing in my bed? Can you imagine that? <laughs> Why are you here? I'm getting on my motorcycle and leaving. This is creepy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If you had put in any thought into it, that's, that was possible. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just going to tie you down for just a minute so I can pretend you're my son, you know. <laughs> but so neither neither party in the interaction, uh, I want to say, took the time, avoided uh, analyzing what was happening and just let it happen. Now, uh, I, I've heard, you know, there have been cases in court where they say to you, oh, you should just let it happen. It wasn't like that. It was just... Let, let the experience happen. And you have to look at it from the perspective of what he was doing anyway. He had to imagine that when he started this whole process, um, that he was going to have some new experiences. Uh, 
And he had the same two choices, sit there and analyze it, make a decision, put it into the construct of the rest of your life, et cetera. <laughs> you know, do all the things that they tell you you should be doing in order to uh, in order to make sure you don't cause pain for yourself and all, all the potential varieties of pain. Or you could just let it happen. And you get a sense from this story that he's telling is that at some point or the other, whether he was conscious of, of it or not, uh, it was just going to be a let it happen adventure mm -hmm. and not to get excited. And I think there was a certain amount of confidence in him, although it, it may not have necessarily been warranted. There was a confidence that this whole thing is going to be okay. Of all the possible things that as a parent, I could imagine happening to one of my children, if they did what Miguel has done, his position on the matter was, oh, that's, this is going to be fun with no sense of all the potential things <laughs> that could happen along the way that would cause him physical, emotional, and, and uh, spiritual pain. Um, and I think that was uh, embodied or uh, exemplified by this, the experience of these two chapters. Just let it happen. What, what could go wrong? The answer is lots could go wrong. It just, Fortunately, didn't. Yeah, but I think it, as you look at it, the experience with the uh, with the sheriff, I could have been argumentative. He could have fought back. He could have, you know, jumped on his bike and run away. Whatever, um, just let it happen. The same with the uh, biker gang. Just let it happen. And so I think that's the the theme that we're going to allow ourselves here. The that that. Yeah, there were unspoken emotions, and there's lots of unspoken things happening here. Mm -hmm. um, and you have two options mm -hmm. analyze or just let it happen. It's okay to have an unexpressed thought and an unexpressed emotion. Uh, it is especially okay because you guys were only together for, you know, an overnight. Mm -hmm. Now, if this was a relationship that you were having with like say a spouse mm -hmm. uh, you would definitely talk about things if not then then a little later mm -hmm. uh, what was going on with you can can we talk about what happened and begin to understand each other better but in this case it was just a you know a passing in the night kind of and, and that's what it was <laughs> but, but i will tell you that uh the uh we were on the outside of a small Texas town. Mm. The gas station was on the other side of that small Texas town. And so I got to the gas station, filled up, got back on the road, and I spent till the next gas station running every moment of that interaction in my head from beginning to end. And I wondered years later, I didn't think about it then, but I wondered years later, did she have that experience? Did she run that all through her head? Did she spend there? She was flipping burgers and stuff. Was she thinking about well, what what happened? You know, what was that all about? What did it mean? Because I did, I, yeah. You know, um, yeah. and but but I think it was really good in my life because again, it added to it added to the uh, pantheon of booklets about women that I was putting in my mental library. Like it was a positive experience. You know, and I think, I think if you go through life having positive experiences in your younger, the younger part of your life, uh, before you get really serious about relationships, uh, and and your experiences with women have all been positive up until that point in time, um, or or at least neutral, because that's what I call my my relationship with my mother that was neutral. But up until that time, I don't I don't remember having like negative. There were no Karens in my life, you know. And and so I think that has an impact on your relationships with women from that point forward, whether they happen to be your administrative assistant, your spouse, or your daughter, you know. Mm -hmm. Number four, transformation and departure. As the chapters progress, there's a sense of transformation and departure. Miguel's interaction with Lizette helps him grow emotionally and provides him with a better understanding of human relationships. The story ends with both characters moving forward, Lizette driving off to work and Miguel setting out on a journey to Mardi Gras on his uncle's motorcycle. This theme prompts a discussion about the role of pivotal moments in literature where characters undergo a transformation 
and embrace new directions in their lives. Well, not just literature, but in, in actuality, uh -huh. uh, because that's this book is that's, both. <laughs> that's where literature comes from, right? <laughs> right. Literature comes from real life. So uh, I think it's right in the sense. Uh, I think that what what I would have a hard time doing is determining at what point the transformation occurred. Was it when he was leaving and she kisses him on the cheek and reminds him that, you know, this, are, are you sure you can well, do this? I don't this? think a transformation happens like that. I think, you know, I think it goes, it's a, the whole time mm -hmm. that you were with her mm -hmm. was an entire transformation. Uh, there, if it's too quick, it's usually not a lasting mm -hmm. transformation, something that takes a little bit of time to settle into you, which includes that time that you were reliving the moment on mm -hmm. your ride uh, afterwards. You know, that's part of that transformation. Um, this is all a coming of age story. So mm -hmm. the entire journey is a transformation. Uh, and I guess when you follow the hero's journey format for your book, Every chapter is a hero's journey. That's right. Uh, so, you know, the every chapter produces a different hero from the one that that started the chapter. Right. And I think this is one of those situations. As long as uh, he can, I I don't know that he was mature enough at that point in time to realize he was experiencing his own hero's journey. Uh, I think to him it was. Oh, look, a little, another camping trip up in the mountains by myself kind of thing. So he didn't realize all the benefits of it until later. Yeah. And I think those of us in this grief group who are going through our own journey of, you know, coming to terms with this loved person in our life has passed. We have to get to a point where we say to ourselves, who am I now? You know, um, I'm not the same per I'm not the same person anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not in, you know, a marriage anymore. I'm a widow. I'm this, I'm that. You know, I have to come to terms with who am I now? And that is part of the transformation, mm -hmm. right? And I think for Miguel as well, he had to say, I've been through this experience where I've helped a mother find cl emotional closure about her son. Who does that make me? Mm -hmm. You know, it makes me a supportive young man in this woman's life. You know, it made me a pivotal moment for her. Uh, so we all go through our own transformations throughout our lives. And then we have to continue to ask ourselves, who am I now? I can tell you that I felt I had done something good but I didn't know quite what it was. I was too young to understand exactly what it was, and it wasn't until years years later that uh, understanding relationships and a lot of other things in life, uh, it finally struck me, oh, well, that was what was happening. Uh, but at the moment, it was just like, you know. You're just being intuitive. Exactly. Doing what felt right. What felt right without uh, causing yourself or anyone else any kind of pain. I mean, that's the best that you can do in life, you know. Mm -hmm. Just let it happen and don't hurt yourself and don't hurt anyone else. Yeah. Loss and resilience. The backdrop of Lizette's loss of her son due to his military service introduces the theme of loss and resilience. Lizette's ability to find strength through her connection with Miguel demonstrates the resilience of the human spirit in the face of tragedy. This theme encourages reflection on how individuals cope with loss and the ways in which unexpected connections can aid in the healing process. Dealing with loss, uh, which is prevalent for both of us this uh -huh. year, and uh, I have reached out to some people, and in some cases that worked out well, and in some cases not so well. Uh -huh. But there was learning in every interaction, in every situation. You know, um, when you had to leave to go to Spain right away, but Sean Scott stepped in mm -hmm. and said, let me help you today. Let me be uh, the person you can lean on. Then, um, you know, that helps 
us feel more resilient when we know there's going to be somebody there to support us uh, through loss. How important is it to have someone support you through loss, through uh, the period of loss? It's very important. <laughs> it's, um, it's what helps you get through it uh, intact and it helps you get through it more quickly, I think, too, you know, because you, it's easier to face what you have to face when somebody's there to hold your hand. Um, I, I probably have no business asking this question, but what are, what are, what's happening to the folks in your grief group who are experiencing a lot of what you're experiencing? and perhaps, perhaps don't have the kind of support that they need other than this grief group uh, to be able to get through it. It's, it's slowing them down. Mm -hmm. It's slowing down any progress. They dwell on a lot of negative thoughts. Um, they feel, you know, guilt, loss, loneliness, sadness, and they have a really hard time pulling themselves out of it. Mm -hmm. I was interested to hear about the young woman who was dealing with the death of uh, her father, uh, because I assumed since you were there, it was spouses dealing with the death of their spouse. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was interesting to hear her perspective. Like, not only do I not have time to grieve, but there's, I don't understand a lot of this stuff, yeah. you know? So yeah. uh, I, I think that's it. My sense of how you're dealing with this, um, at least in, this is my opinion, is that you're handling it as good as I've ever seen anyone handle a situation where they've lost their spouse. Um, you're growing from it. You're learning from it. You're a more evolved person today than you were two months ago, as far as I'm concerned, and for what I can tell. Uh, yet, you still have those moments of grief that you allow yourself the luxury of experiencing them. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of you uh, for the way that you've uh, for the what you've done for yourself and i think for other people because uh, i think uh some of your your certainly your family and your friends are going to have are, are going to learn from the experience of watching you go through this uh because you've done such a masterful job of it so well you know i think you have to be open to you know letting people express their condolences or um, tell you their stories. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you can heal together. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're experiencing in the uh, grief group? Yeah, but also when we had the memorial, you know, I wanted to make sure that everybody had a chance to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. um, and they did. And I feel like that helped all of us, mm -hmm. the whole, everybody who was there. Well, I, I can say it certainly helped me uh, because number one, I didn't expect to be a speaker. I didn't have, I didn't plan it. I didn't have it. You would just say, well, do me a favor and close it up. And of course, because you put a microphone in front of me and I can't <laughs> shut up. But I realized afterwards uh, that memorial service was the first time I had been able uh, to honestly express what I was feeling about Kevin's loss. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of moments in the previous, what is it, month and a half, where it would hit me like kind of in the middle of things. You know, I'd have a picture or I'd look at the wall or I'd pick up something that he gave me or we were working on together or he gave me advice on. And mm -hmm. um, and so I'd get a little bit, uh, a little tinge of grief and things like that. And I'd get through it. But that memorial service was, as I told the stories that I was uh, telling, uh, it really allowed me to express like, yeah, okay, this is how I felt about this man. And uh, I didn't do it as much for anyone in the audience as I did for myself. And I, it was, you know, it was my, my moment of expressing grief as opposed to, you know, I'm Toby Eunice and I'm very serious. <laughs> but sometimes the most important thing is to feel heard, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what helped Lizette here. She was able to tell you 
her story. Mm -hmm. You didn't have any baggage or preconceptions because you didn't know her. Mm -hmm. You didn't, you know, so you were open to her whole story and as being true and, um, you know, important. Um, So you listened and that's what she needed. She needed someone to hear her story. And once that happens, you know, that provides some closure. So she taught me a a lesson that uh, followed me the rest of my life. And that was my sense of her authenticity. Uh, it was a wonderful story, but it was an authentic story. And I could tell by the way she was telling it, it was an authentic story. And as I progressed through life, as I had conversations with people, sometimes it was just to collect information, gather intelligence or for whatever. The measure that I used for myself was not, not certainly not, is this as authentic as the story that I heard from uh, Lisette? It was, is this person being authentic? Is this their story as should have been told rather as they felt it necessary to tell? Uh, and that's what I felt after one of the things I th- thought about. I, I don't know necessarily that I was uh, mature enough to evaluate it from the perspective of whether or not it was uh, authentic, but I felt like that was a real story. Whether it was touching or not was different, is, is different. But it was real, and you could feel it, and you could feel the expression of herself, and you could you could feel, you know, uh, the 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 emotions of uh, or, or the emotional depth of a woman who never got married after after well got married, but then divorced, never remarried, so that she could raise and focus on her son. That's that's a hell of a story. I mean, it's a hell of a commitment, so it turns into a hell of a story, and didn't seem to resent it. The mm-hmm. resentment came when when uh, her, the war took her son away from her. You know, she let him go without resentment. It hurt her, and she didn't want to see him go, and she worried about him. And sure enough, the worst possible thing that could happen to a, a soldier who's leaving home happened. And um, uh, But she did the whole thing without any resentment, and I think that 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 was uh, a one of the characteristics of her authenticity. All right, here's the last theme, the passage of time. This is a lot of themes for two small two-page chapters. Lizette's son's departure to the military and his subsequent passing after high school also touches on the theme of the passage of time. The chapters explore how time can shape our experiences, impact our relationships, and influence our emotional responses. This theme can lead to a conversation about the bittersweet nature of time's passing and the ways in which it affects characters' lives. And you talked about how she had just said, I'm going to focus on my child and get him through school. Mm -hmm. And probably to her, because she was working, she was probably taking care of her dad, helping him on the ranch and taking care of her son. She didn't have time to think about herself or mm. another relationship. Mm-hmm. And after the first marriage didn't go well, she probably wasn't eager to experience that again. So I'm sure time passed very quickly for her. When I go back and I look at all these photos of, you know, my kids growing up first in Arizona and then in mm-hmm. New Mexico. And it's like, I look back and I'm like, I have completely forgotten how we lived in Arizona and, you know, they had these particular friends and did these particular activities. And I revisit those photos and it's like time passes so quickly, you know, it's funny because when, you know, trying to be, when you're trying to uh, potty train your child, it's just like, Oh, they're never going to be potty trained. And then you look at pictures, you know, when they're little and now they're grown up and, married and off on their own and you look at it and you think why did you know why was i so stressed about something that was over in the blink of an eye you know Uh um time does pass much more quickly than we think it will when we're in the middle of something stressful Uh or something difficult or challenging we think it's gonna be forever and then when we're through it and we look back and we're like that was that was so quick. It went by so fast. The broken collarbone thing. Mm-hmm. Break a collarbone, 
It takes you six weeks to heal. It feels like the longest six weeks of your life because you can't move. You're sleeping in chairs, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you're done with it, you go, it's like, oh, well, that's over with. That's not so bad. That was like that, you know, yeah. you can go on with life. And I think raising children is especially like that, where you, ha- you, you spend so much time creating memories that you don't realize how fast that time is going by. Um, I spent a lot of time with my kids doing the same things that you spent, not the same things, but things similar to that you spent with your kids. And you look back on it now, you look at those pictures and the only thing, the, the thing that I like doing, and it seems to be a habit in our family is whenever it's somebody's birthday, you get to post that picture of, remember this time where you were just being a monkey face, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, but the other thing that I've noticed about, especially about the three daughters, I think Sean and Jason seem to have had the, my experience like, oh man, that went by fast. I wish I had done more kind mm-hmm. of thing. The uh, East Coast daughters are very different. They seem to live vicariously through the exploits of their children and, and enjoy it far, you know, not, I don't want to say enjoy it. I don't want to say they enjoy it more. They just seem to spend. They document a lot of, it a lot. Yeah, they they <laughs> take a lot of time to document it, and I think so that it doesn't escape them. So that they always have those memories, and you get a sense that's what they're trying to create for themselves and for their children. You hope, and then when their children, of course, we're not there. Pardon me. We're not there. All no. you see is the pictures, right. so we don't know the day to day and. You well, know, we I don't know. Instagram life. I have been honestly. I have been in each of those houses. I rarely stay longer than a week. And they, I don't remember our household being as busy as theirs. <laughs> They're all, there's, if you, even with uh, Toby, you know, and, and she's the two baby boys. Erica's, of course, are just a little bit older, and Ryan has the five plus dogs uh, that you go like, I don't know how they survive this every day, but she seems to have it organized. Charts on the wall. Oh, I know. Color. I'm- you know, it was on Facebook today and everybody's got up their kids going off to school pictures, mm-hmm. you know, first day of first grade, first day of fourth grade, first day of uh, Naval Academy. All of those pictures are up and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember those days, mm-hmm. you know. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was off to work and traveling and Laura took care of uh, that kind of stuff for the girls. And uh, so I still I get to go back and see those pictures. Like, None of none of what Laura did, although Laura was very good at documenting, and and she lost a lot of it in the fire. Um, none of them are as uh, as uh, I don't want to say creative as uh, developed as Ryan with the little chalkboards and the years mm. and the thing. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just amazing to me. And she did, and she doesn't miss a year. Man. Yeah, she does not miss a year. So. Yeah. And Those, which is incredible because usually you get tons of pictures of the first one, half as many for the, well, second, the second one, and then the third, and then one, the third like, one doesn't get much of anything. You yeah. know, birthday get a birthday photo and a school photo every year, and that's about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was good uh, with my camera. I always had my camera with me. That was yeah. before the advent of the cell phone, and my only regret is they didn't have cell phones that had the kind of photographic capability that they, they do now because yeah. I'm about to give up my very expensive cameras and just do everything with a cell phone. Every time I, I take a cell phone picture and I look at it and I go like this, this, I don't know. It almost as if it creates its magic light of some kind. Like this is a, well, I, I just, as we were looking at, I was looking at the photos that we had some poor gentleman that I forced to take a picture of the other night when we were at dinner and shot and Sue. And I'm looking at this, I'm going on. That is a, there was no flash. There was, the light was, Barely, I mean, we could barely see each other across the table. And this is like a perfectly lit shot, you know, and no grain. And like, how does that happen? So passage of time and life is short. Uh, I would encourage everybody to just pause and think about, you know, your past up to this point, your future, what's coming and appreciate it all. Uh, Because that, I think, is what living is all about, is taking a pause to appreciate what you have and uh, just where you're at. And do stuff. (laughs) Do the things that you've always wanted to do. Don't wait to do them. Yeah, just do stuff. 
if you want to if you want to take a shot at something go ahead and do spend stuff more because time with your grandkids do it we're going to that's that's exactly right do it make it happen you can do it if you really want to yeah it's not going to cost you anything you you have to make some adjustments it's not going to be living in my little house that i fell in love with in bernalillo but I, <clears throat> coming. we're making a transformation yeah <laughs> yeah and, and i'm open and ready for it so so we appreciate you sticking with us for this extra long episode today and uh, we hope you enjoyed it and got some really good information out of it and we'll be back again next week with chapter 20 so hang in with us and we appreciate you being here thanks for joining us thanks for listening to our story your story we hope you enjoyed hearing our stories and those of our guests we invite you to share your own stories with us by emailing us at stories at agkmedia.studio. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, keep telling your story because your story matters.